It's a Carson Price for Friday, November 17th, 2023. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, where if you're planning a holiday party, there is 55,000 square feet of striking indoor-outdoor space here at the Wall. Call them 604-893-7370. That's the Carson alongside Rinkwide's Jeff Patterson, sitting in for Blake today. Grace Sass hitting switches conducting things this show presentation of applewood auto group we're right now at applewood nissan richmond try the leaf the huge stock of electric vehicles rates from 5.99 percent or the rogue where financing starts from 3.99 percent because jay pat it's all good at applewood poll question today have the canucks done enough to convince elias Patterson to resign yes or no you can vote at secure some price on twitter or YouTube, we will get to the poll question here in a second, Jeff. But first, I know you and new friend Irf Gafar, old friend Irf Gafar, sitting in last night on Rinkwide, digesting a 5-2 Vancouver Canucks loss in Calgary. This is the fourth 5-2 game in the last five. Two wins, two losses amongst that. Second of a back-to-back for the Canucks. So uh, legs weren't there. I think that was pretty clear. Calgary emerges with the victory. Canucks now 12-4-1 on the season, but still a three-way tie amongst the Vancouver Canucks trio of Pedersen, JT Miller, Quinn Hughes. 27 points leads the NHL. There are three up on the field, and, uh, well, that stay at the top of the Western Conference didn't last long, just, well, not even 24 hours. Right. As the Canucks were losing in Calgary, Vegas was winning a wild one in Montreal. Uh, for the numerologists out there, though, Matt, uh, you mentioned all those 5-2 games, and, of course, uh, Bo Horvat's return was a 4-3 game, so seven is the magic number for the Vancouver Canucks as far as goals in their games are concerned, but uh, unfortunately for them, Calgary got five of the seven goals at the Saddledome. Uh, we talk about scheduled losses from time to time. Yeah. And if you had looked at the schedule, you would have looked and said, that is going to be an uphill climb. Like, not only was it back-to-back, and in fact, back-to-back wasn't really the issue here, although Wednesday night's game, let's be honest, pretty emotional from start to finish, the comeback, the overtime, and then you jump on a plane, you lose an hour going to Calgary, and you face a Flames team that hadn't played uh, the night before. But beyond that, it was four and six. And when you think about where the Canucks have been over the last week, on Saturday, they were in Toronto. On Thursday, they're in Calgary. Well, in between, they had gone to Montreal all the way home for a practice and a game, and then mm-hmm. back to Alberta. So five games in eight nights, it's a lot. It is. It's not an excuse because every team gets portions of the schedule that are compressed and jammed. But five and eight is a lot on the body with all that travel. And they just looked like a team that had hit the wall. They're not going to win them all. It kind of felt that way for a little while there, but you're not going to win every game that's in front of you. I uh, came across schedule loss on my timeline last night as uh, watching the postmortem of all this. I found myself daydreaming, and I know it's daydreaming because I don't think the league will ever go to this, but could you imagine a schedule with just fewer games oh. where you didn't have to play back-to-back where we didn't ask all that much of these can athletes? I, can I sign the petition yeah, right exactly. now, I'd sign it too. Like a 70-game season where, you know, maybe, you know, you play one or two back-to-backs per year as opposed to what we see here uh, from the National Hockey League in terms of its scheduling. And we've talked about how the Canucks are going through a compressed portion of the schedule 
right now. And we're going to talk a little football later, but these Thursday night football games and the calamity that it's causing with injuries. And we saw that last night in what was supposed to be a delicious matchup between Cincinnati and Baltimore. Okay, let's get to the poll question for a second. I voted yes because I just think a lot of things have fallen into place here. And there's obviously some optimism amongst the reports that are out there on an Elias Pettersson contract extension. Number one, you've come up, got off to the great. Well, number one, you have organizational alignment for the first time in years. Number two, there hasn't been that Canuck sports and entertainment dysfunction that we have become accustomed to rear its head this year. And let's keep our fingers crossed that we're past that era of this franchise's history. JT Miller has turned into an elite forward, and you did a welcome mat on this earlier in the week. Look through cup winners. You need those two elite forwards, and JT has become that, not to mention taking on all the tough matchups defensively. Uh, And then you look around, and you've got an improved bottom six. You've got an improved defense core plus the fantastic start. So I would like to think the conditions are ripe, for the Vancouver Canucks to get their best player, or at least their best forward on a contract extension, even if it's short-term, I'm not, look, you'd love the long-term extension because you want to keep him here as long as possible. But at this stage of the game, I'm not going to be all that picky. Just get him on a contract extension. And I do think the conditions are ripe here. Strike while the iron's hot if you're Patrick Halvine and Jim Rutherford. Yeah, and I think finally, Elias Patterson can see what's, possible with this group and for the last bunch of years you know there was no vision there was no foresight it was just get out there and do the best and he did his best at 102 points last year and you know they were still miles from the playoffs and you're right uh, coaching changes in back-to-back years uh, the house cleaning coming up on the two-year anniversary of that it has been nothing but dysfunction but uh, the hope was that all of that was behind them and it was done so that they could start moving forward. And they've done that. And he's having individual success, that power play right now that he's a big part of. uh, It does look unstoppable. And it did on that goal that he scored. Jacob Markstrom Mm -hmm. didn't even move across the net. Um, And that's one of the things that went Vancouver's way last night. The special team, one for three on the power play and uh, a perfect penalty kill. And that was something we were talking about after Wednesday's game. They've got to get better on this penalty kill. Yeah, and and honestly, when I look at the way that game unfolded, uh, he scores the power play goal to get them on the board, and then he had that chance all alone in front of the net. Garland found him. There was a breakdown. If he scores there and the Canucks go up 2-0, there's enough angst in Calgary these days that I do wonder, would the home fans have turned on the flames? Like, what would that have done? Unfortunately for the Canucks, uh, Pedersen didn't score there. The Flames tied the game late in the first period, and then they took over in the second. And again, it goes back to what we said with just the, the travel and the schedule catching up to the Canucks. It, it sort of played out the way you thought. But, you know, had they got to the third period down 2-1, to one, uh, they were trailing against the Islanders the other night and found a way. And the way that they score goals and with their top-end talent, at 2-1 to one, they were still in it. The final minute of the second period, a bad goal, a bad shift. That one just felt like a dagger to me. I was going to ask you about Casey DeSmith and what you made of him last night. Yeah, I mean, like everybody on this roster, he's been a good news story, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be a good news story every night out. And that was the first time that the Dubé goal, puck just sitting behind him, that's a goal that the Canucks really haven't been giving up, Mm -hmm. where a puck gets through a goaltender and 
when it's happened, Ian Cole's generally been there to scoop it right. off the goal line. Very leaky last night. He was night on the bench, though. Uh, so the Dubé goal didn't love. And then there were breakdowns before the Hannafin goal. Like, Noah Hannafin shouldn't have a path to the net, basically driving wide on the right side. Patterson could have done more. I think Tyler Myers was the near side defenseman. But ultimately, as a goaltender, you're the last line of defense, and he didn't make a stop there. So uh, Casey DeSmith's been a nice pickup and a nice add and a seamless fit for this hockey club. Uh, first time that he doesn't help the club pick up at least a single point. So it's really his first blemish. Uh, I guess the overtime loss to the Rangers uh, might fall in that category as well. But, you know, I, I thought there was a maturity, dare I say this, but a maturity in Canucks social spaces after the game last yeah. night. Like there wasn't finger pointing. There wasn't screaming. Well, there wasn't, uh, you know, people no. were, look, they had put enough in the bank. They've squirreled enough away, enough points that, you know, this isn't the rainy day. The rainy day may still come. Uh, this was, you know, a, a, a drop here or a drop there last night. And again, the reasons are there uh, with the schedule, but also, you know, they had to play without Andre Kuzmenko. The injuries to this point had been lower in the lineup, but the Kuzmenko injury on top of Pia Suter, whose mysterious injury now sounds like it might keep him out through the weekend here as well. Uh, so that would be three games and four nights for Suter, uh, Carson Soucy. Well, again, yeah. depth was tested a little bit, and they were the second best team on the ice. I think, um, with regards to Canucks fans taking last night's loss as they did, if number one, I think the team has equity built up with them. Number two, I think you know some do expect regression here. I, I, I think they're punching above their weight class, and I think a lot in Canuck Nation understand that, particularly as you mentioned with the injuries that told last night and. You know, then, of course, there's the culture of impending doom, which we still see on our feedback channels. I fear like we jinxed Quinn Hughes yesterday. We asked on our poll question yesterday, is he having the greatest season we've seen from a Canuck player? 80% said yes, but uh, certainly not his Mona Lisa either. A very short share of the expected goals outscored three buzz with Hughes on the ice, just the one shot. And that's been a rarity these days, Jay Pat and two penalties. And then there was Patterson at minus four last yeah. night. Look, the stars were not shining for the Vancouver Canucks and uh, it's going to happen. Uh, and that's where, when I think in earlier games, the game in Edmonton, the second game of the season, you know, Lafferty stood Nika Hoaglander got his first that night. Like that was a night where Casey the Smith, and some of the lesser lights were able to rise up and help this team win hockey games when the stars are held in check as they were in Calgary. You know, is there enough depth scoring from this hockey club? And I think that question is still, you know, out there. I think some people wonder a little, but like, look, I thought Nils Hoglander played hard, scored his fourth goal of the season. He only had three while he was in the NHL all of last year. He's got four here, and they're not even a quarter of the way through their schedule. So good for him. Linus Carlson got the call on his. 24th birthday, a night he'll never forget. And I thought he quitted himself reasonably well. Uh, there were other issues around this team. Linus Carlson wasn't one of them last night. But I will tell you, sort of under the radar, Matt, I do think that this is an issue now. And that is five-on-five five scoring. Yeah. That everything's been going so well for this hockey club, and people are lapping it up. But the What's bulk the of the game is still played five-on-five. Five. And so... Hoaglander scored a five-on-five five goal, but for the longest time, it looked like Pedersen's goal was going to stand up as the only Canuck goal on the night. That came on the power play against the Islanders. Three power play goals and then the three-on-three three overtime goal in Toronto on Saturday. Both goals on the power play. They did get three five-on-five five goals in Montreal, but two empty netters as well. So in their last four games, 
They have four well, five on five goals. What's the shocking stat? Combined even strength goals, JT Miller and Elias Patterson. They have three. Three. 17 games into the season. And Miller has all these Miller goals. Has one. A 10 1 win, a 5 nothing win, and, an 8 1 win. Right. And so, why does this matter? Like, I hear a lot of people saying, look, they're the highest scoring team in the league. Give them mm. a break. Again, there's going to be nights where the power play, as good as it's been, runs into good penalty kill on the other side, a hot goaltender, or just doesn't convert. And the bulk of the game remains played at even strength. You have to find a way. And so it is shocking. As good as JT Miller has been at both ends of the ice, 17 games into the season, man, he's got one five-on-five goal. And Elias Pettersson has two. Sam Lafferty's got three by himself. Mikheyev leads the team, by the way, with six. You mentioned Linus Carlson's NHL debut. And, of course, this is the trade tree that goes back to Alex Burroughs. Jonathan Dallane was the... uh, acquisition from the Ottawa Senators didn't want to be in Utica. They moved him on for Linus Carlson. And at first we thought, Oh, you know, they really downgraded there, but give Carlson credit. He has upped his stock in life since that trade played 11 minutes, 54 seconds last night, actually played a little more than Hoaglander three shots, four attempts. He was plus one on a night where a lot of guys were carrying dashes, one hit, one block shot. They trusted him for six faceoffs or he had to take six faceoffs. He won two of them skating on a line with his countryman Hoaglander. And Lafferty, I was a little surprised it was Carlson and not Baines or or Neil Zaman. What were what was your take there on the call up? He has since been sent back down. Right, we understand today with Akita Hirose being called back up for tomorrow's game against Seattle. Yeah, I like. I think there's a hunger in this market for Archie Baines to get his opportunity, and hopefully it will come. Uh, but Linus Carlson has put in a decent year last year in Abbotsford, his first year in North America and has picked up where he's left off. And uh, I know that uh, they're really happy with the way that he's playing down on the farm. And so uh, I don't know all that goes into these discussions, but it was pretty clear that the plan was to move Connor Garland up and that whoever was getting the call was going to get plugged in basically lower in Mm -hmm. the lineup. And so I just think that they decided to go with a guy that has a little more size perhaps, and maybe a little more professional polish than, than Archie Baines. You know, it's not a knock on Baines. Again, his moment will come, and I do believe that Archie Baines is going to play NHL games for the Vancouver Canucks. So, uh, a cool story. You know, on your birthday, not many guys yeah. get that opportunity. I don't think that went into the decision here. And yeah, Carlson was fine. Like again, it's one game. The team didn't have much juice going, so kind of a tough game for him to slide in there and hope that he's going to be any sort of difference maker. But I thought the you know, the fact that he was out on that late power play, and again, it's garbage time, but I still, I thought that was a, a nod from Rick Tockett that he had done enough to, why not, give this guy, you know, a late shift with the man advantage. Yeah, uh, Baines continues to lead the Abbey Canucks with 17 points. Uh, Oman is tied for second with 14. He's Sheldon Dries uh, at 13 points. And then Carlson, who's the fourth leading scorer on the team amongst forwards, fifth overall with Wallanen uh, up there as well gets the call and you know what we've talked about this year on several occasions is that at least you've got guys on the farm that you can call up and get a little bit excited about right like these aren't necessarily journeymen these are guys who still have an opportunity to be nhlers and in some cases quality nhlers at that so we'll see who gets the next one and we'll see if Linus carlson is better for his first nhl game and we should mention um, too that there have been a, a number and surprisingly but troubling as well uh, a rash of concussion issues down on the farm. Like Vasily Colson is supposed to return this weekend. You know, if he had been playing for the last couple of weeks, might he have been an option? Perhaps well, he was seven points in six games. So he had a 
great start there before the terrifying injury. So, you know, hopefully uh, guys get back to full health and, and are able. Nielsen's on that list too of concussions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think Aiden McDonough as well is another one that's been out of the lineup for a little right. while. And Guillaume Brisebois at the NHL level was hurt in the preseason. So uh, you hate to see that just because in Brisebois' case, you just never know in terms of the, the recovery time. And Tockett said he'd been skating off and on, but uh, still dealing with some issues. So uh, when we talk about dealing with issues, Matt, we should mention we talked five and eight for the Canucks. Today's a day off. Mm-hmm. And then they start into another five in eight stretch here. So uh, they really are running the gauntlet in terms of compressed schedule level of competition, maybe not as high as it has been at other times or will be, but still uh, you saw last night that it does take a toll. And so at home to Seattle at home to San Jose, and then out on the road for three and four over the U S Thanksgiving to Colorado, to San Jose, and and then or to Seattle, and then San Jose. Well, I was going to ask you about Seattle. The opponents tomorrow at Rogers Arena. They are six, eight, and four. They had a very difficult start to the season. They're at dash eighteen in goal differential, so they not faring very well there. But it's a team that was a game away from going to the Western Conference Final last year. Two points out of a playoff spot as we speak, albeit having played 18 games, many of them around them played just 15, 16 games. Do you have any hope that the rivalry finally <laughs> takes hold this season, Jeff? Or uh, because I, I imagine Seattle's like already getting close to the desperation point, and we're going to see the Kraken twice here in the next week. They're right. in Seattle a week from today. Do you have any hopes for the rivalry taking hold this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think every time that they play, they'll put another brick in the uh, uh, foundation of this rivalry. But rivalries truly are born in the playoffs, and that would be incredible if the Canucks could get back to the playoffs and the Kraken obviously had their run. And if they could find their way on a collision course, the way that uh, you know the playoffs are set now to promote more divisional playoff matchups. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I, I mean, I think the fact that they play twice in a week you know, if something happens on Saturday, short memories and, you know, those types of things. But, yeah, I mean, look, the Kraken, they struggle to score goals. They're one of the lowest scoring teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, they went to overtime and then shootout uh, against the Islanders. They ended up winning last night. So it's a victory for them. But, uh, you know, three goals seems like an awful lot right now. And it looks like Joey Decord has uh, sort of supplanted Philip Grubauer as their go-to guy in goal. So I don't think they envisioned having goaltending issues, but they did in the early going. And uh, they just haven't seemed to really sort their offense out. Matty Beneers, I think a lot of people thought that, you know, he would take that big next step. That hasn't happened for him. It, it will. Uh, it'll just take him a little more time than some perhaps uh, wanted. And yeah, I mean, Brandon Tanev, I know, was injured, uh, I think, on opening night in Vegas. He just got back in the lineup. Not a different Susie is going to miss this game, yeah. X crack. And, yeah, yeah, that's too bad for him. Um, so it's there for the Canucks, and they had best, uh, you know, use this day off to rest and recharge because, again, the schedule uh, picks up here in a big way. But, you know, these games matter. Like, the Kraken are a divisional rival and a team that had a playoff spot last year. If the Vancouver Canucks can beat them and beat them in regulation and pick up their 27th point of the season. Yeah, again, they're moving double digits out in front of the Kraken at this stage as we come up near the uh, the first quarter pool of the season. So, yeah, I mean, we talk about games in November, meaning as much as they do in February, March, and April. Yeah, I don't want to oversell, but this mm. is the proverbial four-pointer for the Vancouver Canucks. 
2.56 goals per game for the Kraken this year. It ranks 29th in the National Hockey League versus the Vancouver Canucks at 4.24, the only team scoring more than four goals per game at 12-4-1 and one, and 25 points through 17 games this season. Football. And congratulations to Metchia Betts of the BC Lions. Their fine yeah. defensive end wins the Canadian Football League's most outstanding defensive player last night at the CFL Awards from the 110th Grey Cup in Ham- Hamilton. Poor Sean White finishes second for the special teams player of the year. He's beaten out by an Argonauts returner. Betts becomes the first Leo to win this award since Solly Alamimian in 2016 and of course his 18 sacks were a record for a canadian defensive player breaking the mark of brent johnson the guy he'll always be compared to here in bc the hall of famer who was of course a extraordinary defensive player and canadian player for the leos for a number of years winning a couple of of gray cups Sunday, the big game from the Hammer in Tim Hortons Field, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, eight-and-a-half-point favorites against the East Division champion Montreal Alouettes. We were talking yesterday with Blake, Jeff, that Winnipeg already, I think, win or lose Sunday, you can consider a dynasty. Four consecutive appearances in the Grey Cup game, that's the most since the Eskimos won five in a row in the late 70s and early 80s, of course, quarterback by Warren Moon towards the latter part of that dynasty. So, you know, you look at the Flutie era Argos were sensational teams, but the best they managed was two in a row. And the Anthony Calvillo led Alouettes were sensational teams, but the best they managed was two in a row. There's not even a three and four in there, which is what Winnipeg could do if they were to win Sunday, of course, lost last year to Toronto, but won the two previous Grey Cups, separated by the COVID year against Hamilton. The one thing I would be a little worried about if I'm the Bombers, well, a couple of things I'd be a little worried about if I'm the Bombers. Number one, there is a long history of teams going in and getting all the awards and the opposition not getting a single award and going, hmm, getting a little bit between their teeth over the right. course of the weekend. We have seen all sorts of upsets in this game over the years. Yeah, the Wets have won seven in a row, so they're playing hot, and that's oftentimes a better formula than just overall record over the long course of the CFL season. Teams change a fair bit from June to November. And then the other part that's got to be a little worrying for the favorites here, no Dalton Schoen at receiver, no Adam Big Hill at linebacker, two key players for them. Now, they've been winning games without Schoen, including the West Final against BC, Nick Dembski and Rashid Bailey, two terrific receivers, but both of them are far from 100% playing in this football game. A high of seven degrees, a low of minus two. It's actually 14 degrees and raining in (laughs) Hamilton today, but it's going to be a little chillier, a little closer to Grey Cup weather. Um, What do you make? Who do you like? I like the Bombers to win, but I wasn't blown away. No. By the way, they beat the BC Lions, and you referenced I mean, key guys nicked up long season. This kind of stuff mm-hmm. happens, but and, and look, I get the under the records, but I do kind of think that momentum matters yeah, here. Yeah, it sure does. And that Alouette defense went into Toronto last week and just kept taking the ball away from the Argonauts. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think Montreal does believe. I think that you know they are the underdogs. Cody Fiardo has kind of always been 
the underdog, it felt. Uh, we won't relive uh, the past. But, you know, a chip on their shoulder, as you talked about. I, I think on a couple of levels here, mm-hmm. there are some massive chips on the shoulders yeah. of Montreal Alouettes. And it's one game. It's the CFL. Uh, get out there and a bad know, snap on, on a punt, a block field. You know, yeah. that's all a big return. Uh, particularly think, if you're expecting a lower scoring game, which a lot of people are because of the injuries to Winnipeg's offense and because of the quality of the Montreal defense. I think Winnipeg wins. I, I'm picking the Bombers, but I'm not going to be shocked just based yeah. on the way the Alouettes have played uh, on the history of this league and this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see Montreal absolutely stepping in there and putting up a good fight. I think the big key is Winnipeg's running game. They were able to run the football with Brady Oliveira against the BC lines because really Calaris and the offense and the passing game right now yeah. is not exactly elite. Like you're not sitting there terrified of the Winnipeg passing game with the two banged up receivers, the one missing receiver. I was talking to Ryan Phillips before the West final, the Lions defensive coordinator and said he just didn't feel Caleros was as confident in some of the other receivers to throw those deep balls, to throw those 50, 50 balls. I think that proved out in the West final. Now I'm not sure you're going to be able to take the ball away as often as Montreal did with the Argos, but if you can stop the run, I think Montreal could be very game here on Sunday. So Look, it is typically an entertaining game. It is typically a close game. Let's hope for all that Sunday from the hammer. Thursday night football where the Ravens beat Cincinnati 34 to 20. And this was one of the better looking Thursday night or primetime games this year in the NFL. It is another awful looking Sunday card for the National Football League. Uh, The big one is is on Monday where you've got Kansas City the best team in the AFC playing Philadelphia, the best team in the NFC. I mean, that's a potential game of the year, but there's really not a whole lot on the Sunday card that you look at and say, boy, that's appetizing. I'm going to uh, make time for that one Thursday night football. And in my view, it is, I mean, and I'm guilty of watching it. Do like the fact that I get an NFL game on Thursdays in the fall, something to do, something to gather around. And yet I feel like it's asking too much of these NFL players to play Sunday and then turn around and play on Thursday with how fast and violent this game is with the number of injuries that you're already going to get in the course of a, well, at one time, 16 game schedule, now 17 game schedule, which I also hate. Joe Burrow goes into this game looking like he has an injury and the NFL is investigating why he wasn't on the injury report Then hurts his throwing wrist to the point where he can't even grip the football is writhing in pain. So huge, huge injury for the Cincinnati Bengals, which could easily affect the AFC and the playoffs. And then Mark Andrews, the fine tight end for the Baltimore Ravens, suffers a devastating ankle injury, and he's going to miss the season as well. Baltimore wins this game and takes another step forward in the AFC, and they may well be the biggest threat to Kansas City in that conference, but both teams come out of it lesser because of the injuries. And I just, I continue to look at Thursday night football and say for whatever it delivers to you from a commercial perspective, I think it really hurts the long game in the NFL when you're losing players of this stature, this at this time in the season. And I, I think the players hate it as well. Not sure it's ever going away, Jeff. But it would be something I would change if you put me in Roger Goodell's chair. 
Yeah, I watched a little bit of it early and then got locked on to the Canucks, so I didn't watch the the entire game. But yeah, you know, watched the Ravens pretty closely a couple of weeks ago. The way they manhandled the Seattle Seahawks, and people shouldn't be sleeping on that Baltimore team, particularly the defense. And you know, there's so much attention on Kansas City on and off the field these days yeah. that it does sort of feel like the Ravens maybe don't get the shine that they deserve, but they're probably fine with that too. That when it comes to crunch time. Uh, that is, I, I just feel like that's a team that is going to be heard from yep. now at eight and three and a little separation atop the AFC North. They have been elite on defense since trading for Roquan Smith, the linebacker with the Chicago Bears last year. The undrafted running back is doing great things. Seahawks, as you mentioned, are in Los Angeles to play the Rams this week and then home Thursday night against San Francisco. They are the nightcap on a triple header on NFL U.S. Thanksgiving. Hey, if we're going to do Thursday night football, let's keep with the traditional U.S. Thanksgiving Day games. That's fine. Or let's find a way of getting every team that is forced to play on Thursday night a bye going into that game so we're not asking them to play twice in a five-day span. I don't know about you. I, I Anecdotally, I, I know – like five or six friends and acquaintances that are making the trip down mm -hmm. Thursday night, Lumenfield Hawks and 49ers in a divisional clash. Yep. And then the Canucks crack it yes. on Friday at climate pledge yes. and people are doing the double dip. What people, a weekend. People have been earmarking. So first of all, I would get to that border early. In fact, I would get to that border now. on Wednesday. <laughs> Went down last week. Wasn't, too, too bad on Friday morning, but I mean, it's still a half hour or so. We're not Nexus people, though. Oh, Are you Nexus yes. people? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So Seahawks Past and Rams. 50 bucks I've spent. Is it only 50 now? Yeah, it's incredible. I don't know why. It should be 10 times that, and people would still pay for it, <laughs> but absolutely. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta. If you haven't checked out Greta, they're on Cordova. Great spot to catch the game throughout the season. Playoffs, place to chill in the offseason. Frank Saravelli joins us from Sweden. He's there for the NHL Stockholm Series. The Senators, the Wild, the Leafs, and the Red Wings with Frank. We go over his information on the negotiations as they are with Elias Pettersson on an extension. The term. We ask Frank if there are any defensemen out there outside of Calgary. We go over the calamity that is the Columbus Blue Jackets these days, as well as changes to overtime and when you can anticipate a best-on-best best international tournament. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, featuring a remarkable scene uh, out in Richmond last night, as well as a catastrophe that is the Las Vegas <laughs> Grand Prix. We'll go to the people. Never a bad time to send us a hot take and tell me I'm wrong or your two cents on anything you hear or see from Sakarison Price channels. You can email live at sakarisonprice.com, text, 778-402-9680, the great, clip, great Clips text message inbox. Secure some price from Wall Center, presentation Apple and Auto Group. Hashtags the best and worst of Twitter.com. Brought to you today by VGH Millionaire Lottery. You can be a multimillionaire for just 100 bucks. With your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets, you get in to win one of the 10 grand prize options, including home packages in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, the Okanagan, Vancouver Island, 
or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. Don't forget to get your 50-50-plus tickets. Win half of BC's biggest jackpot. It can grow to $2.4 million. Early buyers win more, including bonus draws and 51 early bird draws. We all need VGH. VGH needs you. Every ticket purchased supports VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation. With your millionaire lottery tickets, you are supporting more than just hospital care. You are supporting you and your loved ones who need it most. Order your tickets toll-free, 1-888-445-5825, in person at London Drugs, or online at millionairelottery.com. Must be 19-plus to play. Know your limit. Play within it. Get us started, Mr. Patterson. All right, I've got one from Kobe Mayer. He covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hashtag CBJ forward Johnny Gaudreau did not play in the last 6.15 of tonight's game, and Patrick Laine... Did not play in the final 9:53, and this is against the Phoenix or the Arizona Coyotes. Matt, mm-hmm. Columbus down a goal. They end up losing three to two. They're down a goal. Wow! And they park Johnny Hockey and Patrick Line for the bulk of the final 10 minutes. That is cutting your nose off despite your face, Pascal Vincent, the head coach of the Blue Jackets. Who I, I, I mean. I'll give him this. He's not afraid to make the tough decisions when you think back to Port Moody's Kent Johnson being benched a couple of times in the early going. But Yarmo Kekalainen is on the hot seat there, and especially when you consider that statement from Blue Jackets' ownership on the firing of Mike Babcock and how disappointed they were and the fact that they, they outlined they may have made more changes if they weren't on the eve of the season. Do you think they got a little too aggressive too quick there with Provorov, Severson, signing Goudreau? Well, I I, I, I mean, if Johnny Goudreau wants to play for your team and it's just... And you have the cap cost, space, yeah, right? I, I don't begrudge them that. And I also think that, you know, you had to show results at some point so yeah. I can understand especially trying to add... A, especially in a market like that, right? Top four NHL I mean, it, it sounds shocking to say, oh, he parked Line and, and Johnny Hockey... Guys, Johnny Gaudreau has one goal in 17 games. Fair enough. Like, if you need offense, he's not your guy right now. He has a goal and five assists, six points through his first seven games. Are they still trying? Games. Are they still trying to play Line a in the middle? Uh, I haven't, or has that I haven't been paying great attention to yeah. what's going on, but I know that they've lost seven in a row, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that stopped. I still see him listed here as a center. I mean, he was playing center of the bench there. Yeah. Right, for the final. <laughs> I mean, it, Goudreau for Huberto. Who says no? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, Johnny's wow. going right back to Calgary. Uh, what, what I will say is um, there's still a decent collection of young talent there. Yeah. No, I mean, and, they should and, be better than they no, are. No, and, and if you're on the outside looking in or you're Blue Jackets' ownership, I think you're looking at it going, you know, maybe we just need new people leading this franchise. But they had their chance in the summer to find the right new person, and they went for Mike Babcock. Mm-hmm. So they brought a lot of this on themselves. Yeah, and uh, I think it'll be further up the uh, command chain, the next set of changes in Columbus. Jeff, the NHL produces so many head scratchers. Help me out with this one. At Walsh A, Alan Walsh, player agent. The Detroit Red Wings versus Ottawa Senators game from Stockholm, Sweden, is a TSN regional broadcast and only available for viewing within the Ottawa region? The game is nonsensically blacked out throughout the rest of Canada. 
to which our friend Adam Seaborn, at A.H.B. Seaborn, Playmaker Capital, from sources in the TV biz, the next NHL deal will include more flexible rules around regional blackouts. Oh, time. You've t- today's t- game is also 11 o'clock a.m., Toronto, Detroit. Yeah, I, I saw there was a guy on Twitter. So you pick uh, up and take four teams all the way to Stockholm, Sweden. This is clearly an NHL event, and then you don't distribute it nationally? Yeah, uh, there was a guy on Twitter, Grady somebody, that was quite indignant about uh, all of this Ooh. yesterday as well. Uh, and I shot back and said, but would you carve out time in your schedule to watch a Senators Detroit game if it was being played in Canada? Maybe that misses the point here. Uh, it is strange that the league takes its product halfway around the world and then will only show it to a sliver of a potential audience. Uh, I don't get it. They talk about growing the game. Uh, by the way, there are only 12,000 people in the stadium in Stockholm. And these games are going off pretty late local time. Well, that's why I wanted to watch it because it's just early background Well, but that's fodder, it. Right? That's it. I guess the incentive is, well, we want you to subscribe to our national you know, Sportsnet Plus package. It's not like it's up against other games here in no, North I America. Know. No, curious decision to say the very least. And uh, yeah, so apparently there are games going on overseas. We just yeah, we just can't see them. <laughs> uh, I've got one from the Vancouver Giants. Uh, Giants' new part owner, Drew Scott, one of the Property Brothers. I saw this. Was on the Tonight Show. The both the Property Brothers were on the Tonight Show. Uh, talking to Jimmy Fallon, and there's Jimmy Fallon holding up a picture of Drew Scott and Michael Buble in their Vancouver Giants uniforms, and he was asking them about the ownership of the hockey club and uh, Buble's love of the game. So, uh, yeah, getting some pretty good exposure on network television. Absolutely. South of the border. The well Giants. done, Ron Toygo. At Van Geerman, this is our old friend Chris Gear, former Canucks executive, touching scene in Richmond. As the PJHL Sockeyes pay tribute to former player and local firefighter Ray Sawada, who passed away tragically while playing he, the sport he loved. Packed house, honor guards, scholarship creation, jersey retirement. Fantastic job by the Sockeyes and the Burnaby Fire Department. Here, here, um, the images were touching Yeah, from the rink last night. Yeah, that is a full house, the very definition of a full house. So uh, well-loved uh, in the community and obviously a guy that got to the highest levels of hockey and uh, tragically gone far too soon. I have one more. Fire away. From the disaster that is the Las Vegas Grand Prix, this was supposed to be a crowning moment for Formula One, <laughs> a third American race, one that they are promoting themselves, not farming out. This was supposed to be the culmination of all that great momentum this sport had via the Drive to Survive Netflix series and the mass uptick in popularity in North America, really kind of the last bastion for F1. At Associated Press, water valve cover on the Las Vegas Grand Prix course halts first practice of the weekend. It damaged Carlos Sainz's Ferrari who now faces grid penalties from the FIA because of the work that's required on the car. The delay was two and a half hours to the second practice session, which took place in front of empty grandstands after fans who had arrived were told they had to leave. Why? The security personnel shifts were due to end. 
and the stands therefore had to be cleared. F1 also had to give portions of the track back to the community for commuters at a certain hour. These were $800 tickets, the cheapest of the weekend, and the price gouging here has drawn the ire of fans and drivers alike. Daniel Ricciardo, Charles Leclerc of Ferrari, Valtteri Bottas, a veteran of the loop, have all criticized the ticket pricing here. Tickets did not go as swimmingly as they thought, and hotel room bookings, which were at exorbitant prices as well, did also not go as hoteliers thought. So this thing, as many are saying on Twitter, is turning into the fire festival <laughs> of motorsport. <laughs> and by the way, the race goes tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Pacific time. What? Yeah. yeah. See, they're trying to cater, cater to, to the, a yeah. European and international audience. And, of um, course, Las Vegas is a late the night city. And the light of the strip, plus they, you know, they don't have access. They can't use all portions of the track all hours of the day in Vegas. Just a calamity in <laughs> Sin City for Formula One hopefully, and whatever. Hopefully Super Bowl goes a little smoother. Yeah, there. exactly. It's the host, host of Super Bowl. They can't screw that one up, can they? Just wait for the NHL draft in the sphere. Right, in the sphere. Well, that is the one cool thing that is supposed to happen here is – Formula One has bought the entirety of the sphere for during the race. Apparently, the googly eyes will be following the cars <laughs> on the sphere, as well as some messages from sponsors. But, yeah, um, this is typically a very well-run organization, Formula One. They know what they're doing. They go in there. They execute. They have huge teams. They do this all around the world amidst many challenges, but Vegas has proved their Waterloo. And that's hashtags for today. It's Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Mitsubishi in the Richmond Auto Mall. The Outlander, the gas Outlander, rates from 4.99%. Check it out because it's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, have the Canucks done enough to convince Elias Pettersson to re-sign? You vote yes or no at Sikerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. Joined now by NHL insider Frank Saravelli of the Daily Faceoff and the Frankly Speaking podcast. He is over in Sweden uh, for the NHL in Stockholm. Before we get to that, Frank, you had a big story on Patrick Alvin and Elias Patterson. You got a chance to catch up with the Canucks GM. What are you hearing on an extension? Yeah, so it was really the first, at least as I believe it, not tooting my horn, confirmation from the Canucks that as much as Patterson had said before the season that he's in no rush and and certainly wants to take his time doing this right, that this hasn't been something that's been tabled for the next number of months, that they are actively involved in negotiations. I think it's always dangerous and difficult to handicap how far along they are in those talks. I think the biggest question mark is you tell me the term and then I can give you maybe some sort of ballpark as to what that AAV ends up looking like. I don't think the Pedersen camp is very sure 
which direction they want to go yet. I think they see merits in both medium and long term. But the fact that we now know it's obviously been a huge priority for the Canucks behind the scenes, but you know, it's they're working on it and trying to chip away at this and trying to get it done. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the, this was something we did not know until your report that uh, whether or not they would be talking this year and and we know that they are. Answer me this, and Blake's talking about this a lot these days, but the Austin Matthews deal and going shorter term, do you see that turning into a trend with star players, get as much as they can and get out to make as much as you can on the next one? Is that a possibility here? It is possible, and I think you can sort of see the idea of, for a player, why that makes sense, right? Because the more times you can go to the bank, the more times you can cash in, right? Theoretically, especially when you're of that elite nature and you see the way that in typical non-pandemic years, the cap sort of grows at a very steady and healthy 4 to 5% a year. It doesn't take very long and a long-term deal for you to get left behind in terms of what the very top players in the league are making. So it kind of keeps you front and center right at the top of the pay scale. And I get it. But I think it's all really individual preference and choice in that at some point you taking more and continuing to go. And I don't want to frame it as the trough because look like I, I'm never going to knock a player for getting as much as he can. These guys should be making more than they are quite frankly with how this league uh, is structured in the cap. That said, um, that means you're taking it out of someone else's pocket on your team because most teams are spending all the way to the cap. And so they get that. And I also am of the mindset that, look, if someone's putting eight times 12 and a half for a hundred million dollars in front of you, which is probably pretty damn close to the range that we'd be talking in with Pedersen when it comes to an eight year deal is the difference between a hundred over eight years and, you know, eventually maybe getting to 120 if you do two five-year deals, does that extra 20 million bucks change your life? Like easy for us to sit here and say, cause like, Hey, I'll take an extra 20 million bucks. I'll just take like a, a 10th of that. Um, but that said, it kind of is like, as an agent always says to me, it just changes how big of a boat you can buy. And other than that, like, that's kind of it. Frank, the Canucks obviously have had this incredible start to the season last night in Calgary, notwithstanding. Uh, but Carson Soucy out for six to eight weeks. We already know that they are said to be in the market to bolster their blue line. Now, uh, they were in Calgary of all places, and we know that uh, the names there on the Flames roster that uh, are potentially available. But if the Canucks are truly shopping for a defenseman, uh, are there teams that they should be looking at? Are there names that are out there this early in the season beyond the Calgary Flames that you think are available? It's a short list. Like, honestly, that's really kind of it. And, you know, excuse me, you look at um, the spot the Flames are in. I think one thing that Calgary has run into so far is there aren't really many teams in trade mode in mid November. Like you can, you, you got to find a dance partner. It takes two to tango. And I think that's one thing that surprised them that with their sort of 
you know, it's, it's not a fire sale, but there's a for sale sign out there somewhere. They're not hanging up the phone. If you're calling and asking about one of their defensemen and as near as I can understand it, they haven't gotten the significant or, um, you know, real, it's not interest. It's like, there's a difference between kicking tires and actually putting together something that makes you think. And no one to this point, as far as I know, has even made them think it's been very quiet on that front. So that has sort of surprised them. And it's kind of what the Canucks have been running into. Patrick Alvin also mentioning um, that idea of, yes, we are looking for a defenseman and yes, probably a right shot defenseman. Like he then laughed and was like, but yes, yeah, so is everyone else. So um, they've been on the hunt. I don't, at least maybe the Susie injury changes the urgency of it. I don't get the sense that they're particularly close. Well, and also, I mean, Calgary's four points out of a playoff spot. So, you know, we're that early in the season where all these calculations have to take place. Uh, no, I'm not sorry. No, no, I'm not buying that. Like they're, they're, they're 436 points percentage mm -hmm. this season. Like they've got a long way to go if they're going to be in the mix. And it's funny saying that because they're ahead of Edmonton and yet we all kind of think like, Oh, they're going to get it together. No, Wouldn't surprise either of us to, to say that Edmonton goes on and wins 10 in a row. They're 30% of the way there. And all of a sudden they're right back in it. Calgary. Do you guys have the same belief? No, no. And I think, you know, but even if Edmonton wins their game in hand, they're still behind. But the, the, the door up news came. The flames had lost six in a row. I think like they've won two of their last three, if I'm not mistaken now. And so a little two in a row, two in a row. you're right after the Montreal. And so a little glimpse of optimism, but it, you know, not surprising that some of those storylines kind of reached a fever pitch when a team had lost six in a row in the early going. Right. And not surprising that also people want to draw the connection between the mayor of the lower mainland in Dan Milstein and also Nikita Zadaroff, his client in Calgary. Like, I get it, but like Calgary's not giving these guys away. So that's the other part of it too. And, and so as much as they may be kind of somewhat a little bit interested in, hey, are we going to be able to play our way back into the mix? I think there's been a realization there the way this season has started that they probably need to change things up and do things a little bit differently, whether that's retool, refresh, whatever R word you want to pick du jour. Um, that's sort of where they're at. Frank, we um, heard something this week about Calgary seeking a young prospector player to drop in the lineup. Do you know what the asks are on Zadorov and uh, Tanif? I do not. Um, but I know that in moving all of those pieces, Zadorov, Tanev, Elias uh, Lindholm up front, like you're asking as a collective, you're trying to bring in and harvest as many assets as you possibly can. And I personally, this is my opinion. The Flames haven't said this. I think the best thing they could do is take a page out of the Canucks playbook and do what they did with Philip Ronick. Get some picks. The, the Horvat trade's a great example. Find a young guy who fits their age scheme, younger, and plug him into your top four. But it has to be an authentic piece. It can't just be some guy that, you know, you think and you hope and it's it, like Sharon Govich, that type of thing. That can't be the guy. It needs to be a more established. Philip Peronik has been a 50, uh, uh, when I say 50.5 
points per game player for 300 games in the NHL. That's an authentic defenseman. Uh, just before we leave this topic, and because it came up last night, is Columbus not peddling defensemen still? And oh, yeah. how hot is Yarmo Kekalainen's seat right now at 4-9-4, and four, and his uh, replacement coach is benching line A and Goudreau in the third period down a goal? Should be hotter than some of the blondes here in Stockholm. Um, and look, um, I and personally, the thing that I come back to with um, with Yarmo Kekalainen, like go right back to the Mike Babcock situation. You hired him. You knew that this was a distinct possibility. It should be your head on the chopping block when we already knew that it was a significant hire to begin with. That's one. Two would be Ken Johnson and David Yurichek. Ken Johnson had 40 points last year as a rookie. Really talented kid. Why is he in the AHL? Why has their number six overall pick been shuttled back and forth to Cleveland like it's a 27-time you know, flight per day kind of thing when he's better than most of the guys you have in your lineup and you're picking Peak, Boakvist, Bean, whoever it is that you want to go through in your lineup over your number six overall pick. Make a decision. Do something. Put a stake in the ground. Make a trade. So that part of it drives me a little bit crazy um, to see because I'm asking myself, give me a cohesive plan here. Tell me what you're doing and I'll buy into it. But we haven't heard it verbalized. And so the other part of it is then you go to lining Goudreau up front. Did those guys wake up today and forget how to play hockey? Like, does, like, I know, like, we could go on a whole Huberto thing too, and we're not going to, but you have to search for solutions, especially with guys that are on long term deals that aren't going anywhere. You need to find a way to fix it, not necessarily just highlight it for everyone else to see. And maybe, you know, they've reached that point where they just throw their hands up in the air. I just can't imagine that we haven't reached the quarter point of the season, and that's all you can do. Frank, this cannot start. Patterson, Miller, Hughes, we talked about Heronic, Thatcher, Demko. Uh, it got me again thinking about best on best, and I know that that topic came up over there, Gary and Bill Daly uh, holding court with the media. Uh, where are we on the potential of seeing the stars in the National Hockey League get a chance to represent their countries best on best? Well, I think we're getting close to announcing a 2025 international tournament. And I call it international tournament because I do not believe it's going to be called a World Cup of Hockey. And I think the reason for that is they haven't made a decision yet, but reading the tea leaves, it feels like Russia won't be participating. Mostly due to geopolitical pressure from the other federations more than anything else. You know, I think if Russia goes, Finland and Sweden aren't going to be very happy. So um, I don't know what you call it, uh, you know, a festival, whatever it is that you do, uh, with these, you know, a, a pseudo best on best, it ain't best on best when you don't have one of your superpowers involved in Russia, but I'm no Russia, you know, sympathizer. So you're not going to hear that from me. I'm just saying the league and the PA are certainly in an awkward spot in terms of dealing with their own players. Cause I don't see that situation changing, but that's where that's trending right now. We're like, you know, whatever it is, 15 months away from that tournament. And 
they're getting pretty close, I think, to finalizing a deal. Are we all old enough to remember Rendezvous 87? Maybe we yeah, just call it Rendezvous well, 25. Let's do it in Quebec City then. We'll get a little French flavor and exactly be awesome. Um, Changes to overtime, Frank. Uh, We know it's tabled until March. What's your read on the tea leaves there? Do you uh, do you think they're going to implement some changes to uh, not allow them to go backcourt, if you will? I think there's certainly some push for that. My first thought process in hearing it was, was this is this broken? Like, does it need fixing? Um, But apparently enough managers who obviously are the stewards of the game, uh, they, this is why they're here. They get to make that call. Not me. Um, There's certainly an appetite to do so. And I can't read which way it's going to go yet. But um, personally, I like, I don't care what they do. Like just as long as we see less shootouts is my, that's all I care about. Lastly, how's Sweden treating you? Oh, it's treating me well. Uh, I got here Wednesday, so I'm just about 48 hours on the ground, and I've got about 36 hours left. So uh, it's a very quick trip. Uh, Funny enough, uh, where I live in Philly, I can almost get here just as quick as I can get to Vancouver. It's seven and a half for me to get here, and it's six and change for me to get to van. So uh, it just goes to show you like your mind starts to wander about whatever the potential possibilities are for more NHL and Europe action. I think it's, you know, unless there's a drastic change to how everything works, it's probably a, you know, a mere twinkle in everyone's eye, but seeing four games played with four NHL teams and four nights, um, it's been pretty exciting. And they're obviously passionate about the NHL here They'd be so much more passionate if they could get games in a, you know, at least a decent enough time slot to watch them. That's the hard part is I, you know, I'm basically waking up in the morning here and the late games are just ending out where you guys are. So it's not easy. All right, buddy. Keep on keeping on. We'll catch up with you back in Philly next week. Sounds good, guys. Have a good weekend. Oh, to the people. To the people. Let's let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. To the people we go brought to you by Finning. It's time to get your bid on. The Finning Online Timed Event for Used Cat Equipment is live and open for bidding. Don't miss out on your chance to secure the machinery you need. This is easy to use online bidding, diverse quality of used cat and non-cat equipment, post-purchase support. Start bidding now to build your fleet with quality used equipment. The event only runs until December 5th, so don't wait. Sign in or register today to start browsing. For more info, go to used.finning.com slash bid. And JPAT will start with yesterday's poll question. We asked people, Thursday's poll question, we asked people, is Quinn Hughes having the greatest season in Canucks history? And I'd kind of like to rephrase the question because a lot of people, I think you as well, went, well, I mean, it's a good start. We didn't ask, has he had the best season? I guess we were asking, is he in the midst? Are we in the midst of witnessing the greatest Canucks season of all time? And I need to see how the story ends because, and I don't even want to, 
go where my mind is going, but it's a long season and you've got to be available and play the bulk of the games and those types of things, Matt. So Ah, so your mind was going to injury then. You said it. I okay. didn't. You said it. Pucker Glenn, hard to top Burray's first month, but by golly, Hughes has entered the chat. He's definitely the best start for a defenseman. Can pretty hard to beat Burray's 92-93 season. He had 110 points, 60 goals, 47 at even strength. Oh. I mean, it's damn near a 50-goal scorer at even strength. Plus 50 assists with 407 shots. Hank and Daddy had some amazing seasons as well. Graham said he might be Carlson's season while having a greatly better plus-minus. It could be a top-five season all-time, let alone a Canucks best. And it could. I mean, he's on that path, but it's still a long path, and he's basically at the quarter mark. Did you see the stats we did yesterday? Uh, it was courtesy of Jason Greger, our friend in Edmonton. If the Canucks get three players to yeah, 100 points yeah. and one as a defenseman, they would join eight other teams in NHL history. Early 70s Bruins, of course, Espo and Orr. Islanders with Trotchy, Bossy, and Potfe. Oilers with Gretzky, Curry, and Coffee. And then Penguins with it is Mario Lemieux, Rob Brown, and Paul Just putting my head on the pillow the other night with the three of them leading the National Hockey League in scoring. Well, still today. Yeah. Still today. Well, the fact that they— And, in fact, more by a bigger margin today. All in on the one goal. Yeah, exactly. The early goal for the Canucks. The other thing that's—and, um, look, we understand we're a long way away from this, folks, but we haven't had a lot of opportunity to dream here <laughs> over the last decade. No. Chris Pronger and Bobby Orr. The only two to win a Hart Trophy and a Norris in the same season. And if you were counting votes today, I think Quinn Hughes might be your leader in the clubhouse for both of those awards. It's been extraordinary. Uh, let's get to the inbox here. Canuck says, tell me I'm wrong. With the dearth of quality quarterbacks, running backs will become more important as salaries go up. Conversely, receivers become less valuable. Blake and I have been talking about the NFL this year and how it's just not as compelling or as entertaining. Scoring is way down. We've also been maligning the sort of lack of the star running back. Running backs aren't stars in that league anymore. So this is almost hot takey, counterintuitive here from Canuck. I hope you're right just because I like diversity in offenses. Like I love the team that tries to run it down your throat versus the aerial attack team. In the playoffs, I'd like to think a line of scrimmage team, run the football, play great defense, can still win a Super Bowl. Canucks, but it just seems everybody's singing from the same hymn book these days, and that's that you got to throw the ball all over the yard to be successful offensively. Uh, tell me I'm wrong from basketball, Phil. I bet Blake Price and Farhan have never made a upside line reports when they have worked the sidelines for a CFL <laughs> Whoa. or MLS game. I couldn't believe this from Carissa Thompson. That is quite an admission. But like, what's in it? What is in it for her other than, oh, I'm going to tell this story and it's going to kind of sound fun and quirky. Like, I think she your... wanted to sound cool on a podcast. That's, There's no other right. That's exactly motivation. how I took that too. And if you missed this, Carissa Thompson said there have been times when coaches wouldn't talk to her or wouldn't divulge anything or were unavailable when they were supposed to be available. And in those circumstances, she's just gone to the same cliches. Oh, they got to 
you know, protect the quarterback better, run the ball better, hold not turn it over, yeah. hold on to the football, like all those cliches. And I, I guess what caught me was the outrage and outpouring from people who have done the sideline gig saying, no, this is not how it works. I've never done that in my life. And you've just maligned all of us, let alone women in sports casting working the sidelines who already find it difficult enough to get into those positions, at least historically. I would think like she would have enough experience to have some great stories to share. Exactly. That you don't have to go copping like, the fact that you're look, making crap up. For, first, first of all, you know, bat on the coaches. If you're supposed to be available for a sideline interview going into or coming out of halftime, be available. You know, that's part of the gig. Everyone's making a lot of money. It's because of those television cameras and the audience back home. So meet your responsibility there. In the odd case where a halftime adjustment runs long and head coach isn't out there early enough to get it done, you're damn right, Jeff. Especially if you've been around, go, hey, so-and-so was late coming out from halftime, but you know, based on the first half and what I've heard on the sideline here, they've got to do this, this, and this. Or just don't go to her in that instance. Like It, it doesn't make or break a That's broadcast. the other. Exactly. Oh, by the way, Daniel wanted in on the greatest season, says Roberto in 2006. We had a good chat about this. You know, because Marcus's season in dead puck era when he won MVP, Jeff, mm-hmm. extraordinary. The two Burry seasons and Roberto's first year in Vancouver deserves some love there as well. Yeah. I mean, look, that was not on top good. of Hank's. Yeah, it wasn't a very good team and didn't score a lot of goals. And he held them in and single handedly talking about goalie stealing games. I mean, that's what he did on the regular. You're right. It does sort of fly under the radar. We're all, uh, you know, our attention is grabbed by the gaudy offensive numbers, but Roberto turned in a shift Did or two ever. that season. Jacob, hot take. The Canucks meet the Bruins in the finals again. <laughs> but this time the Canucks win in Game 7. Fans rejoice as tears flow from Marchand in Rogers Arena. You said it, Matt. It's the era of the antihero. Hang on. So Game Seven's at Rogers Arena again? They're home ice advantage okay. wow. in the Stanley Cup final. I'm not sure the city could take oh. that storyline. I mean, the win, yes, but no. the buildup to the anxiety. Oh could oh. you imagine the angst in this city on the morning of Game 7 against VPD. the VPD. Oh, jeez. Uh, Jacob, I'm going to have to go ice cold, buddy. <laughs> Just for the good of the city. Yeah. JC, hot take. NHL will implement their version, its version, of the and one rule. A goal is scored on a delayed minor penalty. The penalized team will still have to serve a one minute <laughs> in the box. Not two, but one in the box. What do you think, Jeff? No, they're not going to one-minute penalties. Sorry. Ice. Ice cold? Yeah. Grady? Ooh, that's cold. Tell me I'm wrong, Adam, the former bath guy. Casey DeSmith is becoming the first-year version of Spencer Martin with the team getting points in every appearance. Well, except for last night, Adam. So we have to tell you're wrong. On our poll, Miller or Horvat to the Ring of Honor, neither or both. Robbie says Miller has the second highest point per game of any player to wear a Canucks jersey, Burris number one. By the time his career in Vancouver is finished and we go to the playoffs a few more times, I think JT will definitely be in the Ring of Honor. 
That's sort of how I calculated it as well. Yeah. You have to expect some team success is going to come here, particularly with this start. And if that's the case and JT keeps producing, he's going to be a hard candidate to keep out of the Ring of Honor. Yeah, I, I voted on your poll. I, I don't think, and look, I like my dealings with Bo Horvat. I have a ton of time and respect for Bo Horvat, the person and the player. I don't think that Bo's going to find his way into the Ring of Honor. And so the path is there for JT Miller. Um, and you're right. I, a lot of it will go hand in hand with any sort of playoff success that this team can have. But yeah, I, I think that there is absolutely potential for JT Miller to find his way based on what he has done uh, to this point. On our poll earlier this week, was trading Horvat the turnaround moment for the Canucks? DT says choosing Miller over Bo got this turn started, but trading that first for Heronic was a game changer. I don't think anyone in Canucks land is missing Bo, and I'll tell you that for free. RL says getting rid of betting and hiring the current management group started the turnaround. I yep. took them more than a full season to evaluate the roster, finally decide on a direction, plan to build on, trading away Horvat as the decision management had to make. I'm glad we no longer have to deal with the incompetence of Benning. Benning wasted an entire era and destroyed Canucks hockey. Where were you on the turnaround question that we asked earlier this week? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the stars are leveling up. I think that's a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. And yes, they were drafted by Jim Benning. I mean, we can't go back and change history on that. But I see a lot of people dunking now all of a sudden that, you know, this is Benning's team. Benning drafted the stars, but his issue was always surrounding those stars and actually dragging them down with the contracts that were handed out to the supporting cast. And we just don't know this management group, like, you know, Casey DeSmith, that's been a nice addition. You know, Sam Lafferty, kind of quietly, has gone about his business. Yep. You know, Mark Friedman, uh, again, not a star player, but Jack Rathbone wasn't going to play here this year. Suter, at the turn. Luger. Yeah. There, yeah. There's, there's a great quote on this from S. Johns 842 on Twitter. He said, all you people who criticized the team for the past eight years, now that they've changed the GM, changed the coach, changed half the roster, bought out OEL, had four players having career years at the same time and dominated over a 15-game sample. I hope you'll admit that you were wrong. My God. He cannot be serious. So those that are dunking on this group... So we just weren't patient enough? We just needed nine years of patience and eventually... But we just don't... Again, like I, I judged Jim Benning on his track record that he would have continued to hand out bloated contracts for players that weren't helping this hockey club. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll never know. But I do think that that's been an area that they've been more efficient, more effective in identifying pieces at reasonable par- prices and without term... And really, when you look at the success of this hockey club, it's driven by the star players. But Ian Cole's been a nice addition. He has stepped in and helped. Uh, Carson Soucy, uh, again, he's hurt now. But you know, I, I do think that in the right role as a third-pairing guy, like he was a nice addition for this hockey club. On Rob Williams' bold statement, they're cup contenders. Mr. Quirky on YouTube says, I'm confident they're making the playoffs now, but there should be no cup talk until we see how they first play against Vegas, the Kings, and the Avs, as that will be the three toughest team to, teams to beat just to get Nailed it. to the finals. Uh, Jeff says, love the show, but last year at this time, these dudes were saying we signed the wrong guy in Miller and shouldn't have let Bo go. I'm not necessarily sure we said signed the wrong guy. I think we may have said that's going to be a difficult contract 
in time, could you have gotten Bo on a friendlier deal? Now, JT Miller has been extraordinary under Rick Tockett. And, you know, I think there's basically been two sort of come-to-Jesus moments for JT Miller here in Vancouver. One is when he first arrived and realized, okay, I'm on my third organization here. I have been traded twice and has been very honest about how he needed to up his work ethic and a lot of things about his game. And sure enough, we saw that. And now the second one is that he's got to be a more dependable player, especially if you're going to play in center ice. And Rick Tockett and this coaching staff and the line share of credit goes to JT, but Rick Tockett and this coaching staff have helped get him to that spot. And a year ago at this time, he was not doing that stuff, and that's why you heard his name in trade rumors still from some of the big insiders. Right, well, eh? the other thing I wondered, too, was how much does JT want to be here? We knew it meant the world to Bo Horvat. Right. There was a uh, theory that, you know, JT just wanted to negotiate off that 99-point season, and, of course, only the Vancouver Canucks were able to extend him at the time. If you're winning, everyone's going to be happy to be here. Yeah, and I think, too, it had to be humbling. He gets dealt by Tampa, and what do they do? They go and win back-to-back Stanley Cups. You know, I, I think you always want to believe that you're an important piece of whatever team you're on, but they were able to jettison him, and then it's like they didn't miss him. They go on and they win uh, the COVID Cup, and they back that up with another. And so I, I think there probably was some learnings there for J.T. Miller, uh, but also this idea that like nobody thought that the first couple of years of his contract were going to be an issue, right? It's still out there as how this contract ages as it would be for anybody that's in the first year of a seven-year deal that's just turned 30 years of age. So uh, I don't think there was a single person in the media or in the fan base that thought the first there wasn't much risk for the Canucks in the early part of the J.T. Miller contract. And quite frankly, they're getting value out of him uh, and then some right now, but how long will that last? And can you continue to extract value out of Miller's contract while you've got this window where Quinn Hughes is massively underpaid and Thatcher Demko is a bargain? Like those guys are going to be in for raises in the not too distant future. To me, that's where the Canucks window comes in. And it kind of comes back to this idea of if Elias Pettersson signs a four-year deal, then it's absolutely go time here in the next couple of seasons yep. for the Vancouver Canucks. On getting a defenseman, we talked about this with Patrick Johnston. Uh, Vance Hallam says it's tricky. I think any substantial upgrades will have to be a rental situation. Hronik is going to need a contract too, so the by committee or internal competition setup that we have going on right now could be the way to go. A top four defenseman is the exception. Let me ask you the question I put to... Um, Blake and Rob Williams yesterday. Nils Hoaglander in a second for Chris Tanev. You doing that, Jeff? Oh, I, I'm not sure that I am. Tanev on an expiring deal, basically just as a rental. One year of Tanev for Nils Hoaglander and a second round pick. That Do you think you could get me. Tanev to resign on a hometown discount? Still lives here. Ah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, there's the comfort level. I get that part. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of one of the reasons that this deal does make sense. But uh, that's the, and, and again, no. the Flames are, you know, they're well within the right to hold out for those types of prices. I just don't well, know if I'm Zidorov the Well, is, is, here's the problem with Zadorov: The cost of acquisition, and then you're going to be play, paying him above and beyond because he's going to be a very in-demand 
UFA because he's much younger yep. than TANF. TANF, the cost of acquisition, let's say it's roughly the same as Zadorov, but I do think you've got a chance to get him here on a very team-friendly two-year deal. Maybe you have to go three, but he drops the AAV and you get the ability to trade him in the third year if you need to. So I, I got to say, I, I, I'm, I'm, while I understand that they may covet Zadorov more, where I understand that that profile of defenseman might be something that is more um, aligned with what Rick Tockett and Adam Foote want to do. Tanev's right-handedness, Tanev already, you know he's a fit with Hughes if you need to play him there. Plus, he's a terrific defensive defenseman. I just like the idea of Tanev more than Zadorov based on what I think it's going to cost you acquisition and money in term if you happen to be able to re-sign him. The Leafs got Luke Shen for a third-round pick at last year's deadline. Mm-hmm. Like, is there that much separation between Chris Tanev and what he yeah. would bring to... His game has kind of fallen a bit, and the injuries have resurfaced. Yep. As Brian you... says, Tanev is old, plays an injury-prone style, nostalgia shouldn't trump team-building. Calgary would want too much. What about you just bring back Ethan Bear, you hold on to that second in Hoglander, and you try to sign Tanev in free agency? I mean, yeah, I'm not as high on Ethan Bear as some. No, um, Tanev's definitely better, but but again, there's the comfort. I mean, he's been here and done that, and would fit in fairly seamlessly. But I don't know how much uh, of an upgrade he is for this hockey club in the here and now. Uh, Tanev would address some needs as a you know shot blocking, puck eating, uh, penalty killing, late in games, try to run down the clock type of guy. Um, I'm not sure that Ethan Bear necessarily, you know, is what Rick Tockett and Adam Foote are looking for in the way that this team plays. So, first of all, I need to know that Ethan Bear is completely healthy. Like, that's a significant injury to jump in midstream. Uh, you know, so there is some question there, and I think uh, I have a little bit of hesitation on that front. But I also think you probably get him pretty cheap for the remainder of this season at the very least. So, you know, cost-effective in that regard so, yeah, I mean, there's some some ups and some pluses to looking long and hard at a guy like Ethan Bear. Again, if, just for me, I'm not sure that he is necessarily the fit for this group and the way that they're playing right now. Simon says, imagine a right side of Ronick, Tanev, and Bear next season. So we're daring to dream on a, on a couple of fronts. Uh, on your interview earlier in the week, Brian says, maybe we should be giving more credit to the management. Rutherford and Alvin have managed to chip away under severe cap restraint and actually assemble pieces like there really is a blueprint. Blake's been saying this all year and, and even into the season because of the additions made right at the right at the death there of preseason in Sam Lafferty and into training camp, Casey DeSmith. So, no, they have done a splendid job. Um, Suter and Bluger have helped. Cole and Susie have helped. Even Friedman has helped. So there's some nice stuff going on. And yes, Rutherford and Alvin deserve a lot of credit. And um, someone wants to ask you, I noted Pedersen had a strap around his left wrist when he took his gloves off at the bench. Could it be that he's hurt his wrist, which is why he's slowing down a bit with shots? Yeah, I've seen this. Uh, I've also seen him absolutely wire the one-timer yeah. in Ottawa for that power play goal that took two seconds. Uh, last night, I mean, great puck movement on his goal. 
the pass the other night, cross seam to JT Miller. And look, I watched him at practice as recently as Tuesday out at UBC doing face-off work with the other centers under the eyes of Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Like, if your wrist is injured, you're probably not putting in extra work on the face-off dot on practice days. So uh, people always want to jump to these conclusions. Elias Pettersson's production has slowed down a little bit here in the last week, but the guy still has a share of the NHL scoring lead. So I'm not as convinced that there are... Uh, certainly the wrist. There may be other areas that have slowed him a little bit, but uh, I'm not sure that the wrist is is holding him back. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Soccer Friday from Kingston, Jamaica, not Ontario, Canada, and the Reggae Boys. This is the first of two legs in Nations League. Uh, Canada is 1-6-5 in Jamaica all time, although the last time they faced off, March 2022, it was a 4-0 win for the Canadian side. The winner here um, secures a berth in, that's the winner of the tie, of course, secures a berth in the finals of the um, Copa America and into the finals of this competition. And there's uh, plenty of Whitecaps content here as well. Javane Brown, of course, a member of the Jamaican national team, and four Whitecaps, on the Canadian side, this is Sam Adekube, Richie Larea, Ali Ahmed made the squad. Very pleased to see that. And Junior Hoylet, the return leg is Tuesday in Toronto. I I bring this up because is it high time we see the men's national team? Particularly since they refused to take the pitch that one time here in Vancouver. I know we're seeing the big Christine Sinclair farewell game here in a couple of weeks, right. but boy, I'm starting to Are get... you asking me to try to figure out the decisions that are made by Soccer Canada, Matt? Well, that is a, uh, yeah. Anyone would be hard-pressed to figure out some of the Canadian soccer decisions, but yeah, I, I just, I'm a little bit worried that much like our Canadian Open golf tournament, that we're getting a little too attached to the city of Toronto. Like BMO Field is no great shakes. Right. Um, now I can understand if you're saying, oh, it's a Jamaican side that's accustomed to playing in the warm weather and so freeze them out in Toronto on a cool November evening. You know, fair enough. But I do think this team, and I know it's difficult because of the distance that so many of these guys, particularly the European guys, would have to travel to get here to Vancouver. But I, I would, we have the best stadium in the country. Right. We have incredible soccer supporters in this province. So I do want to see the men's national team here a little bit more frequently than we have of late. All right, let's get to errors and omissions from, well, yesterday's program and beyond. Uh, beyond. Grady, uh, self-reporting here. I mentioned uh, Tyson Bajan, my Bears quarterback. 
I said first undrafted quarterback to start in his rookie year. That's out of a Division II school. There have been previous undrafted free agent quarterbacks to start in the rookie year, not from the humble beginnings of NCAA Division II. And we had a bit of a glitch with Rob Williams yesterday. No. Yeah, some ghost hacked the system and wanted to yell at us in the middle of it. Uh, not sure why. But now it didn't make it to podcast. It's on YouTube if you want to go hear it. And I don't know why you would, but uh, mm-hmm. I think it's like 450 something into did, the video. Did his voice go chipmunk? No, it okay. just was like a loud audible scream that uh, mm. spooked some of the viewers on YouTube. So apologies for that. The paranor- not sure the paranormal happened. creeping yes. in. I mean, a few weeks late here. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> uh, time for our Betway bets of the day. All right, so Cody Fajardo and the Montreal Alouettes. You've heard of him, Jeff? I have. Mm-hmm. I'm giving him a puncher's chance here. Uh, I, I am too. Winnipeg has some injuries. Adam Big Hill, our old friend. Dalton Schoen, their fine wide receiver. And the Alouettes have won seven straight games. And as we know with the CFL, it's not how you start. Throw records out in a great cup game. So true. We've seen eight and ten teams win. We've seen nine and nine teams win. It's how you finish, and the Owlettes are playing terrific football right now. But, you know, Toronto sort of gifted them the game last week. I mean, that's a very good Montreal defense, but Toronto really, you know, was the author of its own undoing. Might want to hold on to the football. Exactly. I mean, you went out, what are you ever going to get eight, nine turnovers again? So... I'm not bold enough to call the upset here over mighty Winnipeg. And I know a lot of people on the ground there in Hamilton are, 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 are thinking it's going to be under the total. I'm going to take the eight and a half points with Montreal on your Betway bet of the day. And if you're interested, uh, and, and so I always say, like, betting the under is no fun, but... If you are interested in betting the total, the under on this game is probably the way to go, and it's 47 and a half. The under is always a winning bet until it's not. Right. There is that, but you're sort of rooting for... Crazy fun league. You never know. You're... I just have a problem rooting for boredom. <laughs> yeah. You know, betting on boredom. What you got, Jeff? Uh, I'm going six and three Seahawks at the three and six Rams showdown at SoFi. Of course, this is the prelude to the big divisional game on Thursday in Seattle. Yes. The Hawks home to the Niners on U.S. Thanksgiving. Now the Hawks can't get distracted by that and look past the Rams. Seahawks are the slim favorites in this one. You can get them at one eighty-seven on the money line. On his Betway bet of the day, must be 19-plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us, Rinkwide, and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.